this is uh, my second time getting to introduce Patrick today, and uh, I thought I would do something a little different. He'll tell you about how great he is and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the only thing I really care about is that he's a believer, and he's a brother in Christ, and the love for life that he has is just contagious and amazing, and so many stories as I was sharing with people, hey, we're going to have Patrick come and speak at the church and uh, do the event in Gainesville, and they're like, oh, let me tell you about Patrick. Let me tell you, let me, he, this, this and, and just all these stories. Uh, I was telling him at dinner tonight that my girls met him at Four Rivers for the first time. Uh, we, they'd watched the, the SEC championship, and we were trying to introduce them to basketball, and then they just happened to run into him, and you know, this is two little girls, and he's just so gracious with his time that he stops and he talks to them. Um, Brad Bullard is a friend of mine, and when I told him the story, hey, Luke, could you hit the slide for me? Oh, maybe not. Well, let me set the story up while they're figuring that out. So... Um, Boca Fiesta. Yeah. 2016, really, really I think. Really good tacos. Yeah, really good tacos. And uh, Brad is a big basketball player or big basketball fan. He sees Patrick and says, hey, Patrick, you know, can we get a photo? Never met Patrick before in his life. And Patrick's like, well, you know, I'm with a group of people, and uh, can you give me some time? And Brad thought, yeah, I'm never going to see this guy again. <laughs> And then 30 minutes later, he gets a tap on the back of his shoulder, and there's Patrick. And he said, hey, man, I, I, you, still, you still interested in getting that photo? And he said, absolutely, absolutely. And so uh, they get together, and Brad, Brad asks him, he says, act like you've known me your, your whole life, and you're excited to see me. And maybe if the media shout will come back up. Oh, this is the picture? Yeah. <laughs> he sent me the picture. He's like, you got you to share the story. This, this is the photo that they took. You can see it back there a little clear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to me, again, just hearing all these stories of who Patrick is, it just you know, really shows you his heart and, and his love for people. And... You know, I heard that this morning in his talk, and, and I know you're going to hear it tonight. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the man himself, the main attraction. <laughs> Let him that. share some words. How's it going, everybody? Thank you. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for the opportunity being here. Sound, hear me pretty good, pretty well? Awesome. Um, I've uh, been receiving the opportunity and blessing to use my platform as a means to inspire and in empower people, not only in their faith, but in their relationships, not only with God, but with other people. Um, also to not allow their circumstances to dictate how they show up every day. So it is my intention today to empower and encourage and exhort you in, in the faith through the stories that I'm going to share and the scriptures that really help me to put the pressure on God's promises in the sense of if God says who he is who he is, then what do I have to worry about? Um, I know everyone's a uh, knows that I played basketball. I guess I'll give a little brief. Maybe you don't know. I played basketball at the University of Florida from 2010 to 14. 
uh, was part of some special teams, and it was a great privilege and honor. And being under Billy Donovan, who really helped mold me as a man, and uh, what I love about him, he just uh, he he was the most godlike figure, father figure I had in my life uh, as an athlete. To how he would discipline us out of love, he'd get on us, but hold us accountable, and always he just show up every day. It didn't matter about what happened yesterday. He always just came in with his great attitude and mindset, which let me come into practice each and every day to be myself, which was so freeing. Um, when I, uh, I went on to play professional basketball, I, I mean, I really don't care about that stuff as much anymore because I realized that Jesus is not going to ask me how many points I scored or games I won when I face him in uh, the gates one day. Um, some, that stuff's important to some people. But I do like sports. I do like sports. I do like uh, how sports provides us opportunities um, to learn things about life and ourselves. Uh, usually, you know, sports are sometimes the most important yet least important thing in our, our society that you, know, you can play a team sport or individual sport. You can learn about sacrifice and teamwork and uh, loyalty and uh, maybe be, being coachable and all those things. But for the most part, you know, nobody dies when you play a sport. It's a, it's in a, it's a game. And it really helped me so much in the things that I ended up facing in life. And also, you know, when I came to faith, I grew up in the church, um, but it didn't become my faith. It was my parents' faith, and I'm so grateful for them, grateful for them bringing me around environments where I could learn from people and learn about Jesus. But I wasn't really convicted uh, of following Jesus until I had gotten to college. As an athlete, it was really hard for me to understand receiving the gift of grace. It's a gift. You don't have to work for it. But as athletes, we, I'm, I was so used to everything that I had received value or affirmation from that I had to work really hard for it. I had to, if I wanted to be a better free throw shooter, which I probably should have worked a lot more on, I'd go to the gym and get a lot of shots up. If I wanted to be in better conditioning, I'd run more, I'd lift more weights, and then I would feel as though I deserved it. But someone told me this great story, uh, an analogy of the gift of grace. First off, we're trying out for the basketball team, the, uh, I guess the all-heaven basketball team. We want to try out for that. We're not even good enough to go to tryouts. That's in the, in the comparison of what is required to try out for this team, which is perfection. We're not even good enough to try out for the team. So Jesus comes ahead of us and he says, you know what? I'm going to do all the work. You just, just wait. So Jesus goes, he runs, he, he does a tryout, runs all the sprints, does all the exercises and workouts, etc. Leads the team to the championship, wins it all. And he's at the parade. We're at the parade celebrating the, the uh, uh, heaven, I don't know what, what to call it, but the uh, Jesus Christ championship. And he's on, the, he's on the bus and he says, hey, you over there, come up here with me. And be like, me? Why? I'm not a part of this. And Jesus, yet, he gives you a t-shirt, gives you a hat, gives you a ring. Would anybody feel as though they deserved it? You did nothing to earn that. And that's the gift of grace, that we have the champion that is already going ahead of us because we've never been good enough to even try out, to, to work our way into favor of God. We can't. It, it, says, it, it even says us, it, Christianity is uh, so, so interesting. We have to repent from sin and good works. Because sometimes with good works, we think that we're earning more things in favor of God when God just loves us. When we make that choice and receive the blood of Jesus, it's point blank period. But um, I wanted to share with you all my story. 
of obviously how I ended up in this, in this wheelchair. So uh, first of all, I was, I was uh, having one of my best years of my life. I had in 2021, I, uh, I got engaged. I got my dream job with the SEC network. Um, I had another position. I was just really enjoying life. I just was so grateful for all the doors that God was opening for me. And I'm so grateful for that time because I, again, my dream job, something I thought I uh, wasn't going to get working with the SEC network, getting to talk about basketball. Didn't think I was going to get that position um, until I was going to be 35 and retired, et cetera. Uh, but God opened that, those doors for me. And as I'm preparing for, for marriage in 2022, I was up in Nebraska, O'Neill, Nebraska. I'm sure no, not a lot of people here have probably heard of O'Neill, Nebraska. And you're doing just fine not knowing anything about it. There is nothing there. Population of about 3,500. It was peaceful. It was nice, but it was so boring. <laughs> I, was, I was getting so bored out of my mind. Basketball season was over. I had so much free time on my hands. Uh, everybody that was, I was in the house with, uh, my mother-in-law, wife, uh, daughter, they were all going to school and doing work and all that stuff. So I was just in the house, myself and the dog, just looking at each other all day. Uh, so fortunately, I got an opportunity because I want to do something, want to do something with my hands. I want to, to use this time as I'm preparing for marriage just to be intentional with this time that I had. And I started working for, with this irrigation company. Started working with this company uh, that they think of a, a farmer's land or crops. They're like huge sprinklers, to simplify it. They're those things that go in a really big circle. And we were uh, putting those together. I was working with a company that we, we built them and put them together, repaired them, uh, transported them. Anything that had to do with those, those devices, we did it. Hard labor, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed being able to uh, wake up super early in the morning, work about 11 or 12 hours a day, and just come home feeling like, man, I did something. I did something today. Like, I, uh, I really put myself forward and was efficient and productive and was proud of myself. Uh, about two weeks in, it was just any normal day. About, uh, it was 10 days from our wedding. It was June 29th of last year. Uh, nothing uh, of this day seemed out of the ordinary, but had I not known that this day was going to change the course of my life, that this was going to be a situation that really caused me to look at myself and say, hey, do you believe? Uh, I was heading back from uh, just, we just finished part of the job and we were going back to pick up the last piece of equipment. And normally my partner uh, that I was working with, he goes in front of me, but this time I went in front of him just to go get there sooner. He had a bigger truck. I was in a smaller truck by myself. And as I'm driving on this old dirt road out in rural uh, Nebraska, I lose my bearings and didn't realize that a stop sign was coming as soon as I w went over this little slope going about 35 miles per hour. Um, as soon as I go over this slope, I see the stop sign is 20 feet away. And my first thought is I got to stop. I got to get out of the way. I have to, hopefully, I couldn't see if there were vehicles coming from either side. So my fear, my fear and concern and my, the first thought in my mind was get out of the way. In that time, it felt surreal. My car goes completely parallel to the road and begins the process of rolling over and on it, uh, one complete rotation. And it felt like it was slow motion. As soon as the truck landed back on all fours, um, all that pressure as I braced myself for this, this force, this massive force, I felt a pop in my back. And I knew immediately something was wrong. And in that moment, I'm just terrified. I'm overwhelmed with fear. I'm overwhelmed with emotion. God, this doesn't happen to me. 
this isn't supposed to happen. This isn't real. Why, why is this happening? This isn't fair. And those, as you can imagine, all those thoughts going through my mind, I was in pain. I was confused. I was scared, terrified. And 30 minutes later, I'm able to get into a, an ambulance and then into a helicopter that uh, picked me up and was taking me to get emergency surgery. And at that time, I had zero clarity on what the future looked like. I was fearful. I was uh, just thinking of all the things I had done wrong. And yet, I, had, I have no explanation of how this happened other than the Holy Spirit intervening. I felt the peace of God telling me everything was going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Again, I didn't understand. It was, it, what's the scripture talking about? Giving us a, a peace that surpasses understanding. I had no idea. This was the first time in my life I experienced a peace in that manner. And this is the worst day of my life. So in that time, as you can imagine, I, I, after, I, after I have my surgery, after I'm, I'm in the hospital and I'm striving to figure out what's next, how, where, what is God doing in this time? Why would he let this happen to me? And the scripture that stood out to me so much, and it still does to this day, is James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it pure joy, my dear brothers and sisters, when faced with trials of various kinds. Because you know that the, the endurance or the persevering of your faith uh, uh, produces endurance. And when you have endured in, with your faith, it will become complete. Per, and you'll be perfect, lacking in nothing. And what that scripture told me, first off, is that trials, adversity, hardship, it's inevitable. And it's various. We don't know when it's going to come, but it is coming. But it says... It's also a tool for us in our lives to say, oh, snap, God wants to use me. God wants to mold me. God wants to force my attention on something different in this moment in time. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But I thought about when it says, consider it pure joy. That's the only place in the Bible that it talks about pure joy. So in the middle of our trials, this is where joy is found. And for me, I can't say joy has been found in this time, because when you face the reality of your mortality, that life is so fragile and fleeting and it's short, how can you not be joyful in the things that you do have? It's not, it's not circumstantial. It's not because I achieved X, Y, and Z, that's why I can be joyful and happy today. It's saying, oh no, God loves me. He has given me identity. He has given me value. He has a plan for my future, for my life. And a buddy of mine that works with the SEC network, when I'm still kind of, you know, it's in, again, it's easier said than done sometimes because we know that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy and distract us as believers because when we are in alignment with God and knowing that God is using us through our trials, oh my goodness, there's nothing Satan can do to us because we are just going to be contagious and impacting those around us. But my buddy Jimmy uh, Dykes called me one day and he said, Patrick, could you have imagined that God knew all along that this was what's going to happen? That he chose you to entrust you because he knew that you were going to use it to his glory. And I said, no, I hadn't thought about it that way. And it actually, for me, it was exciting to think that on the other side of this or in the middle, that God wanted to use me through his trial to help other people in their faith to be an example, to hopefully encourage and inspire 
others that, hey, despite the circumstances, God still, his, his feelings and love for me has not changed one bit, one second. And the thing about storms and trials and adversity, uh, sometimes we, 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 we're in a trial or something that is so uncomfortable that we just want to get out of it, right? We just want it to be over. But I think that's a waste. I think it's a waste when we're in the season of growth, of something that is uncomfortable, that forces us to maybe ask for help, to maybe lean in on community, to be vulnerable, um, to, to do things that we're uncomfortable doing because when we do that, their growth is on the other side. How many times have we, everyone in this room, going through something that you didn't want to go through, and then on the other side of that thing, you're like, you know what, I'm kind of glad that happened. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of appreciative of that thing not happening when I wanted it to um, because it's, it's molded me and it's changed me. So I remember I was in the hospital, the second hospital I was in, and I'm a newlywed at this point as well. My wife, uh, gosh, she, she has exhibited the love of Christ for me in a way that um, I had never experienced before. Her just being by my side through all of this and never complaining. She only complains when I'm not stepping up and doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is I love about her so much. So we're in the hospital one day, and we're playing this card game, which I love. It's, it's a card game that's made for facilitating deeper conversation and, and connection with, with the, the person that you're playing the game with. And the question came up. The question came up. It said, uh, what would you title this time in our, in our lives right now? If there there's a title or a phrase that you would talk about this season in your life, I paused for a second, and I looked at her, and I said, do you believe? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Do you believe that God, what he says about you is true? Do you believe that what Jesus did for you is, is true? Do you believe that the God that spoke everything into existence, that this is nothing but a simple thing to him? And I said, absolutely, I sure do believe. It's like, so then what are you worried about? What are you fearful of in this time. And, and the question, if there's one takeaway um, from tonight that I really want everyone to think about and know and have the answer to this question, because I think the answer to this question determines how you perceive and view the rest of your life through this lens. What do you think of when you think of God? What do you think of when you think of God, when you think of who he is? Do you think God is loving and caring and sacrificial and all-knowing and all-powerful, not a God that is distant, not a God that uh, just made creation and just left us, but actually wants to have a deep relationship with you and cares about every hair on your head. When we can look through that lens in our life, knowing that our God is, God is relational, that Jesus, and I talk about this with uh, even if and what if faith, um, because even if it is faith-based, that says, even if X, Y, and Z were to happen or not happen in a certain timeline, I'm going to continue to believe and live my life in a manner of reflection of a change, a person that's been changed by the gospel. What if says, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't come through, the, et cetera? It's, it's just complete fear and not trusting that God knows all of our problems. And I thought about this with even if and what if. Embracing the correct if. When Jesus was on the cross, he never said what if about us. 
He never said, what if they don't follow me? What if they reject me? What if I do all this and no one receives my, my gift? Jesus said, even if they reject me, even, even the ones that were beating him and abusing him and torturing him right in that moment, that he still made the decision that he's going to die and live a life for them. So when I, when I had that perspective just flip me upside down, I said, how can I not live in a manner, in a way of trusting that God is working all things out for my good? Again, doesn't mean that things are going to go in, a, in the perfect direction because uh, our God works in mysterious ways, works in ways that we don't always know exactly what's going to happen. But there are some scriptures that do talk directly about God's will, which I really love. I love when the scripture says, because this is the will of God. Like, this is God's will for you to do. Because sometimes people are like, what am I supposed to do in this time? What should I be doing? And this scripture right here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful. It's like a command. It is a command for us to always be joyful. And we have to remember who's writing these books of the Bible and what they were going through, what Paul was going through. I mean, Paul was stoned, beaten, abused. He actually like died one time. They stoned him. And I don't even understand how he got back up. It says they stoned him to death. And then the disciples just gathered around him and he just got up. Who, who would be willing to go through that type of treatment and torture unless they knew? Unless they were so convicted so caught up in the truth of who Jesus was. And why can't we be in that same place? How do we let, why do we let our trials and the circumstances, the things that we see, dictate our theology? Our circumstances should never dictate our theology. Because if we do that, if we allow the things, the good and the bad to happen, we're going to have roller coaster faith. We're going to have roller coaster faith. And that is not the place where God wants us to be. He wants us to be rooted rooted deep within him. And for me, an, another aspect of my journey right now is, you know, when we think, when we think about waiting on the Lord, that's a, that's a phrase that is often commonly used. It's not passive. I don't think God ever asked for us to be passive in anything, like sitting on our hands, waiting on the Lord to do something. It's an active wait. It's in, you know, I, I didn't tell this story earlier today, uh, but it just reminded me uh, that I, I, got, I should share with you now. So it's a, it's a sports story, but it makes a lot of sense. So, um, and I want, I want you guys to interact with me and give me your best answers. So my, uh, my junior year, we were having some struggles with the basketball being shared. We had some point guards that really liked to shoot the ball more than they liked to pass the ball. So Coach Donovan, in his infinite wisdom, he said, I'm going to put you guys through an exercise. Each game's 40 minutes, you know, two 20-minute halves in college basketball. I'm going to get a, a, a team manager to time every second that you have a basketball in your hand for a 40-minute game. Anybody have any idea how long one point guard had the ball in their hand for a 40-minute game? Huh? It's, there's another point guard on the other side, too. Talking about one point guard. 
It was about two and a half to three minutes. Two and a half to three minutes. And I want to tie that into waiting on the Lord because uh, in sports in that time, we were like, I need the ball now to impact the game. That's the only way I can impact the game. When in actuality, the elevation, the promotion, you're striving to get to, to have the best. There's 35 more minutes left in the game. What else are you doing to contribute to winning? Besides just complaining and being stuck on the ball, complaining about things not being where you wanted them right now. And I think about waiting on the Lord. Maybe we're waiting for a breakthrough. We're waiting for something to happen. But that doesn't mean we can't serve. We can't worship. We can't continue to live our lives with intentionality of loving others. Because more important than our own breakthrough is being committed and connected to community. I mean, how well do you really, really know the people in your lives that for me, my family made it so clear to me from an early age, we don't care if you ever dribble the basketball, if you never make it, we're going to love you beyond, beyond what you ever can perform and do for, for me. And that was so impressionable upon me. I never felt the pressure that I had to perform to earn love uh, through basketball. But even, I'm not going to say never, I won't say never because there were times I struggled because, you know, once you start getting that validation from the world, uh, that in, you, you start uh, placing your identity in that, which is a dangerous place, to put your value into the hands of other people. Putting your value and how you see yourself and what is true about you into the hands of other people that may not even know you. That's why we see such a crisis in social media today with the younger generation. People that don't even know you, they see a snapshot of your life and they like or say a comment and dislike or whatever, and then that can affect your entire mood of your day. A person that does, has no idea what you were about. Zero. Um, so I love, I love this quote, and I said it earlier today, but Martin Luther King said this, we can all be great because we can all serve. It takes no qualifications. It takes no um, special education. But to have the intentionality to live out the scripture of consider, considering others as more important or not of equal importance of yourself, to, to loving your neighbor as you love yourself, to not thinking that your agenda is the only one that matters. Because as, as believers, as in this community, in church, um, I, love, I, love, I love Pastor Tony Evans. Uh, he used this analogy talking about the American embassy. You know, I, plenty of people are here are familiar with the American embassy. If you go to a foreign country and you go to the American embassy there, all the rules and laws apply in that American embassy, correct? Like you are pretty much in a little America. In the church, the church is the heavenly uh, embassy. When we're together as believers in the, in the building, in life, this should be our refuge away from the world, away from the craziness of the world that tries to pull us in so many different directions, telling us, now this is the new truth. That's the new thing. That's the new thing. No. The grass fades and the, and the flowers wither, but the word of God lasts forever. And it is our job, our responsibility as believers um, to be conduits of our, the experiences we face. The, uh, the picture should be this, that we're always learning from somebody ahead of us, a hand as we're being discipled into, and then there's somebody else below us that we're pouring into as well in every aspect and, and period of our life, because none of us are ever going to know everything. But, but what we do learn and know is not supposed to be wasted. 
it's not supposed to be wasted. As God doesn't want to waste our pain, he doesn't want to waste, he, we shouldn't want to waste our opportunities to connect with others and exhorting them uh, in the Lord. So this, this last scripture that I, uh, I came across, I came across that was uh, pretty cool. It, it was talking about trials again, the way that it worded it. It was in 1 Thessalonians 3, through, 3, 2 through 4. And it was talking again about how we're actually destined for trials to come. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that you were destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well knew. How can we, as people, look at adversity and trials? Because in Proverbs, Proverbs 24.10, it says, if you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. That actually the trials and things that we end up facing, like for me, um, I would have never asked for a platform to, to be in this manner. But when I think about the impact and how God has used me in these past eight months, more, more people have been inspired and influenced through me in these last eight months in the first 30 years of my life. And I, don't, I would never want to replace that because I know what I'm being used right now, and it's not me, that my strength is coming from the Lord. Where else am I going to go for strength? I can't fix myself. Doctors can't just fix me. Money can't fix me. So where else should we be in our lives other than 100% dependent upon God every single day? It's more in my face now than it's ever been, but that's the place we all need to be. 100% dependent upon the daily grace of God. Because none of us control, we, we know we all have an expiration date at some point. We don't know when that is. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. But the, bit, the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves and others is to be as present as possible. To really enjoy and embrace those around us. To be intentional about the relationships we have. To give grace to others. In, in, in life, because life is too short to, to hold on to grudges. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that uh, God really did a, a huge work in my heart. Huge work in my heart. Through this, through this time of, uh, and it's so funny, it's so funny, uh, uh, the things that I've, I've gone through in this time that I never would have expected or, or experienced. You know, one day I was, I, uh, I was told that I need to be on my stomach often. Um, when I'm at home, so I, my hip flexors don't get tight, and that it was going to be uncomfortable, and, uh, but there are so many great benefits from that. And I'm in the middle of doing something that I really don't want to do. And I'm like, how can I make this better? How can I make this being on the floor for hours and hours in the day, figuring out something to maximize this time? So I'm a, I'm a new dad. I'm a, a daughter, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and my daughter loves Barbies. She loves Barbie dolls. Um, so I thought, you know what, I want to cultivate a closer relationship with my daughter. Not just watching TV, but actually connecting and doing something with her. So I said, I said Kyla, I'll get on the floor and play Barbies with you. And at first she was resistant because she didn't think I knew how to do it and that I'd make fun of her. She does make some, some funny games. Uh, but what I did, I played with her for an hour. I, I went all the way in. I made the voices. I did the act like everything. Like I was all the way in. And just to think of how my daughter lit up 
after that hour and how close, how much closer we had gotten. I don't know if I would have ever, not to say ever, but maybe that was one of those things that I like, you know, I'm a guy, I'm never going to play with Barbies. Maybe that's a thought I would have had before my injury. But being in a place, in a position where God stripped me of what I thought was a, an idol, you know, being a six foot nine, 250 pound uh, athletic beast, all these things that this, this presence that walks into this room that can squat 500 pounds, all these things. And it's almost like he said, all right, when I take this away from you, who are you? Who are you? Who do you, who do you say you want to be when I've taken away something that you've centered your attention and value upon? And I said, you know what? I still want to be a great dad. I still want to be a great husband. I still want to be a great follower to you, Jesus. And nothing that has happened in this accident has affected that. Nothing that happens in the circumstances that you can't control changes the way any of us show up every day. And, but the most important thing, we have to stay plugged in. Have to stay plugged into the word. It is literally a mirror. I think, it's, I think that's how we charge ourselves up in the day. Because this world is crazy. People crazy out there. For real. Telling us all types of things of how we need to fit in. And, and it's a drift that pulling us in the opposite direction that we want to go. And you can't stay neutral. You can't stay neutral. You have to swim against the current by being intentional with seeking time with the Lord and being around people that are striving uh, to do those same things. Not that we are, uh, you know, putting extreme boundaries around people that want nothing to do with the Lord, but the, primor- the, the majority of our time should be with people that are going to strive to build us up, that we can be vulnerable with. We can take the mask off and let them know uh, we need prayer. We need connection. We need some love. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I'm just so thankful for, I'm not, I haven't gotten to the point where I say this is the best thing that's ever happened to me yet. You know, some people will go through something and they'll say that. Uh, but I will say I am grateful for how I've been getting molded through this, my perspective on the really, truly important things in life. Like I said before, all those accolades and things that I achieved, they're cool. I'm grateful for them, but they had nothing to do with, they will have nothing to do with that day that we end up, that I end up facing the good Lord one day. He's going to ask me, how did you use the platform that I've given you to impact my kingdom? And I hope that's the same thing that you all can ask yourselves, that when you um, think about that, that day we're going to face, how are you using each and every day to impact the kingdom? It doesn't have to be grandiose. It's usually, it's usually the small things, the small things in how we love people, how we are patient with people, how we, how we just have this light amongst ourselves um, to let people know that we care about them, that we love them. And eventually that will, I, I believe it will open that conversation to talk further about Jesus. But again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity um, to speak with you all today. Uh, I would not be here if it was not for the Lord. Also, first off, saving my life and then changing my life. Um, the, last, the last scripture I just think of, I think of is, is the, the time when Jesus, he fed the 4,000. He had just fed the 4,000, 5,000, maybe 10,000. You want to talk about women and children being involved as well. Jesus goes and he gives this really hard teaching. He gives this really difficult teaching for people to grasp because at first everyone was in for the miracles. Everyone was in for the, the teachings. But when he says, no, this is actually what I came here to do. This is what it's going to take. It's going to, families are going to be divided, etc." Many of the followers left. They just left them. It's like, ah, Jesus was cool for that stuff, but I'm not, I'm not with that other stuff. 
So Jesus looks to, he looks to Peter and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where am I going to go, Lord? This, where you, you are the way. You are the way. I might not understand. We might not ever understand everything that we're going through, but we can know that God is good. We can know that God cannot break his character. And if he said it about us, if he promised it about us, it cannot be broken. So if there's anything, I want to leave you with that. Know that God is good and that he loves you. Thank you for being here with us. Absolutely. Sharing the word. Um, well, you'll give me one of those polos. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. Um, maybe we need to get Angie to work on that. Oh, yeah. She, 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 could... she, she might go hook us yeah. up. Yeah. Um, all right. If, uh, if you guys have, you want to take a few questions? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you guys have some questions you'd like to ask him, if not, um, or once we wrap that up, we've got a few drinks and some refreshments in the back if you want to hang out for a few minutes and, and uh, take wh- some pictures. Whoopie pies? Mm-hmm. Should you, that's just me and you, man. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Don't tell them about the special stuff. I just know. Um, Sorry. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine, bro. Um, so any questions from you guys? For Yeah, I mean, you can, any part of the journey, my, my current recovery, basketball, faith, I'm an open book. Yes, sir. I went to a school, a, a private Christian school called Providence. I just went there one year. Oh, they, they recruit you. They don't draft you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got recruited by Billy Donovan. Yes, sir. I'll put a good word in for you. I'm t- I'll tell you, man, you might be able to help us out. We, look, we were bad this year. So bad. Yes, sir. Yes, I, I'm actually leaving tomorrow night for uh, Selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, sir. When I like immediately after the accident, or like, a week within weeks. Man, you know, I I can't say that. It, it was a process. It was a process. But what helped that process? of growing into acceptance was truly having my, my mom, wife, and sister with me. Um, like they just gave me this, this uh, unconditional love when I'm in my weakest point and just cre- help create this environment of me knowing I was safe and that things are going to be okay. I think it was probably after I transferred from the first hospital to the second one. Um, the second hospital I went to was in Denver, and it's the Spinal Cord Rehab Hospital, specific for that and helping you get to independence. And I just had this determination in my mind from day one when I got there that I was going to do whatever it took to dominate. And that's what, I, that's what I did. I was supposed to be there for three months. I got out in five weeks. Well, the first thing, the first thing is uh, you have to understand your why. Why? Um, why do, you, why do you love the game? Or like you don't want to lose sight of your love for it, for sure, because you're still kids, but also your why. 
And if your why is you want to be great, then you need to start being great today. You don't wait to become great. And that's great. Greatness is in everything you do. And I'm not defining greatness as like wins or losses or but I'm saying like in your attitude, uh, in your being a great teammate, in your work ethic, especially being coachable. Coachable, co- that's something I wish I was better at when I was younger, just being coachable, like actually seeking coaching. Understand, like you have to understand as kids, as, as athletes, coaches are trying to help you get to where you want to go. When they give you feedback or criticism, they're not telling you you're bad. I mean, sometimes they might tell you that you did something dumb. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But for the most part, they are challenging you and pushing you to be better. That's it. Because as bad as you want to be great, they want you to be great just as much. Um, I, struggle, I struggle having humility when I came to college, man, and that almost, I almost had to transfer because I was, I was uh, prideful. Um, if LeBron James, Tom Brady, all these guys still need coaching, still seek coaching, how much more do we need it, right? Uh, no, that's, that hasn't happened. Um, it's not really a lot of opportunities to share the, your faith. Um, but I think, you know, with my social presence, uh, that you, people know where I stand. Um, but there's, there's been some coaches. Some co- what, I, what I've admired is uh, some coaches, when they do their post-game interviews, they've shared their faith with some things that they've done. So I, that, I've really respected that. Like Nate Oates at, at uh, Alabama and um, – Buzz Williams at Texas A&M, they both openly share. And Bruce Pearl, this crazy guy he is, he shared his faith as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so last I was told, um, and it was been so hard to continue my PT, I had to go this morning to change my schedule around because my, my work schedule has changed. But last I was told... Um, I'm around like a 20% chance, which is way better than when I started. When I started, it was like one. Uh, And it hasn't even been a year yet. So continuing to stay faithful, I believe uh, faith without works is dead. That if I'm just waiting for, not that it can't happen, but for just it to happen like that, I don't think it's, I'm going to push towards that. I'm going to consistently, I go go about four times a week. And what's really cool is doing pool therapy. Because when you're in the pool, anything that you can move, you really get to see it move a lot in the pool. So I'm doing that about twice a week as well. So it's, it's a fun process. It's crazy. After I retired from playing basketball, I didn't want to really work out anymore because I didn't have, like, a purpose. Uh, working out was always tied to performance. So I was just like, man, I just go for a walk. That's all I need to do. But now it's a greater purpose uh, attached to me pursuing this. So, uh, and I just realized this, guys, everyone as well, Failure is only a 100% chance if you quit. If you quit, yes, you're going to fail. So my mindset, and I made the choice, I'm not going to quit. Never going to quit. Going to keep going. I'm going to go till he says no. And I don't think he's ever going to say no, so I'm going uh, to keep going. Spencer, we got a powerful God. We do. I believe it as well. Absolutely. Patrick, 
Sunday or something, or we preached Sunday. And he was talking about kind of in, having empathy for people who have, have suffered. And sometimes it's difficult for people who have not suffered to have empathy. Yeah. So you're, you're having, you have a, a perspective on people who have sustained uh, traumatic injury, um, a perspective that I, that I wouldn't have. Tell me how to minister to uh, people yeah. who have sustained traumatic injury. Or, or yeah. No, that's a great question because, uh, you know, before this, my injury, I had no idea about this space at all. At all. Um, I think what happens when you face a life-altering injury of such, uh, there's a huge loss in hope um, and maybe a loss in, in purpose for people, um, thinking that you'll never get independence or freedom again type thing. There's just a lot of discouragement. And I've had, I had a great support group through it all, but there's a lot of people that don't have support and don't feel, receive that same level of love. Um, yeah, I think those, those truly are the biggest things, especially like if, if a person, their, bo- their job relied on them being able to use their body, like they were doing some type of manual labor, they can't do that job anymore. So then, you know, loss of purpose, can't feed my family, those things start seeping in. Um, so, I mean, the best, I, I don't know the best way to minister, but um, pouring out love, truly, um, really helps. And just letting people that may, may be in a chair make sure that they feel seen. That's good. I, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like you you were talking about your tummy time earlier today of learning to crawl so that you can learn to walk all over again at this age. Yeah. My, my physical therapist, he told me, uh, when I'm home, he wanted me to treat my process of learning to walk again, like a baby learning how to walk, being on my stomach. Cause we know the baby, they start on their back and they figure out how to roll over. Uh, then they start pushing themselves up. Then they get into like quadruped and they start crawling. And he said he wants me to treat it in that same manner uh, uh, and of uh, being a baby. But he also said this. He said learned helplessness is usually the biggest crux in people growing because they want to stay comfortable and they don't want to try. Learned helplessness. Uh, so he, when he told my wife that, Let's say she was a little too enthusiastic. <laughs> yep, a little too enthusiastic. She was like, I ain't helping him with nothing. <laughs> was, it, was it hard for you to realize like, that you now are, you can't do everything you used to be able to do? It wasn't hard to realize that. It's just you, you, you just realize it. <laughs> no, it, it was hard. It was hard. Um, it was definitely it was definitely hard because I had my whole idea of what my life was going to look like as a man with my starting with family, and like for instance, I couldn't help with moving in, and that really hurt me because I like I want to be. 
a doer. You know, I want to get the, get, give me the honeydew list, I'm going to get it done uh, type thing. But um, fortunately, I went and saw, I saw, I did see a psychologist for a bit because she helped me to identify what I was dealing with. It was a, uh, a distorted view of my masculinity. And my wife had never for a second thought I was less than a man, but that's the en- that was the enemy attacking me. Uh, just because I can't pick up things and move them around. And it's like, no, you're still just as much a man as you were before. You just physically are limited in certain areas, but it doesn't make you less of a man. It did take me a while to get through that, but I've, I'm in a pretty good place now with that now. Great question. We got married on July 7th and then in the hospital. It was the... Uh, Hardest, uh, probably second hardest day of my life. Uh, And I made a vow to my wife that she's going to get to wear her dress and we're going to do it again. Yeah, that was a hard day for us. But um, I'm so glad that she's by my side and we're doing it. We're doing it. She has shown me the love. She's been so Christ-like in these last few few months. And I I have no complaints other than, (laughs) other than... (laughs) Her setting five alarms and not getting up for a single one. <laughs> That's the only complaint. Other than that, she's perfect. <laughs> every day. Every day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Start the earliest ones at 4.30 a.m., by the way. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy that. <laughs> All right. He'll be around for a little while oh. to... Yes, ma'am. Um, when did I start? I think as soon as I got back home, and that would have been in August. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I I started doing some speaking. I started doing because I just was like, life is now, and. I don't know what the other side looks like, but I know what the middle looks like, and people need to hear right now. Because what if, you know, thinking about what if, what if I don't end up walking? I'm not going to wait till that happens to start being impactful. So uh, that was my mindset, and uh, took that on right away. All right. He'll be around for just a few minutes if you want to get a picture. I don't know why everybody wants a picture with you. But. Me neither. <laughs> So I, I think know, right? I think it's a smile. It's probably because everybody's taller. Everyone's taller than me now. <laughs> that's what. That's why. That's why. Yeah. <laughs>